Amen, amen. Welcome this morning. I'm Pastor Tom, and I'd love to share with you a little something that I have. Um, he's risen still. Amen? And uh, as his disciples were talking to him in these 40 days of resurrection, and when he was still on the earth, um, he talked about something. And so we're going to talk about that. But first, I show you my new toy. It's not mine, actually. I borrowed it. Isn't that cool? Where's that from? It's green, and only green and blue ones are by who? The Jedis. There you go. And when you... It's a real one. Sort of. It's sort of a real one, right? And so, um, as you know, in the recent movie, um, last year in December, there was a movie called... The Force Awakens, right? In this coming year, there's going to be another one, another sequel to that movie. And in that movie, you'll remember that Rey, who's the um, female lead there, she's on this little planet, uh, Jakku, and she is a scavenger. She's a scavenger, and she's spending all her time uh, looking at old junk piles and things like that, trying to eke out a living and just kind of focusing on her life and just trying to survive. She's just focusing on her life and trying to survive. It reminds me a lot of the, the one, the movie that came out even years earlier than that, which is, remember this one? Who, who, is, who actually saw this in the theater? I, I just want to know. See, some of us who are old enough to remember actually seeing that in the theater when it first came out because I could really identify with Luke Skywalker because Luke Skywalker, way back when, he was on his own planet, a Tatooine, and he had a double... Um, a double moon there, you can't see it in that picture, but he was this farmer trying to figure out how he could just eke out a living being a farmer. And so both these characters, it's really interesting, both these characters have to decide, they have a choice to make. They're either going to open their eyes and recognize there's something bigger going on, or it's just about them. It's just about them, and I'm going to symbolize being just about them with a farmer's hope. Okay, there's a cultivator, actually, right? A cultivator... And what you have to do, they have to decide whether they're going to take up the saber or continuing focusing on their safe life. Predictable. Safe. And they could just continue to do what they're doing, focusing on their own stuff, their own families, their own jobs, and just keep plodding along. Or they're going to be part of what, God, what um, you know, is going on in the cosmos. So that's what we're going to talk about today how we, too, have a choice to make. Are we going to be part of what God is doing, or are we just going to focus on um, ourselves and our families and just keep it all in here because it's safe and sound? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us this morning. As we look upon your Scriptures, as we think about this, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit, that we, too, would begin to understand. We, too, would begin to ask those hard questions what it means to be your children, what it means to be called by your name, to be infused by your spirit. We pray that you would do a new work in our lives. Refresh us, renew us, revigorate us, so that we too might be empowered by the spirit to be your people, your witnesses, witnesses of you, your kingdom. In Jesus we pray, amen. So we're in post-resurrection Sunday. And the disciples were there, and they had seen the risen Lord. And in that time frame, um, we will see that um, 
what happens in this time frame is we look at uh, Acts chapter 1 uh, on the scriptures here, uh, starting in verse 3, I think, starting in verse 3, um, what we have, um, it says, after his suffering, he showed him, so suffering, that is death, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, um, he gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father's promise, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We're going to look this morning at um, some of the uh, uh, misconceptions, if you can call it mistakes, that the disciples were making as they were asking that very question. What do we understand about their misconceptions? What do we understand about oftentimes our own misconceptions? We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then we'll kind of look at what God's answer to that, what Jesus' answer to this question was, and how we can be a part of what he's doing uh, in the world. Okay? So that's kind of what we're going going for today. So um, what were the disciples looking at? There's a diagram. Um, I know I'm, missing, I'm messing with Chester here. There's a diagram. He can't even see me, can you, Chester? You can barely see me in that corner. Okay, and so um, keep going. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, about the, no, not that one. Uh, back one. Back one. Okay, keep going. Back, back. <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm all confused with my slides today. Don't worry. So, uh, Okay, I'll, I'll be on track now. Sorry, Chester. I'll be on track. I'll be on track. Um, so the idea is that um, as we think about it, the, the disciples thought about when they asked the question, is it at this time that the kingdom will come? What were they thinking? In the Old Testament, what happens is that they recognize that something into the future called the day of the Lord would come. And when the day of the Lord would come, see, right now they believe, in the here and now, they believe that God had sort of separated and left them. He was in heaven and they were on earth. And what happens on earth is, is called this present age, this present evil age. And they were looking forward to that time and say, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I put it out of order. Um, so God was with them and then there was this sin in the world that entered into the world and they believed that God was way up there, far apart from them, and that we lived and they lived on, in the, this present evil age. And they were waiting for this one cataclysmic event called the Day of the Lord. And after the day of the Lord, what would happen was there would be a new heavens and a new earth, and everything would be reunited. That was what they were thinking at that time and space. And in that day of the Lord, it would be something huge. It would be the Messiah would come as king. It would be cataclysmic. It would be instant. It would be Jewish. It would be um, evil would be vanquished forever uh, and totally destroyed. God's judgment would come upon the nations militarily and politically, and he would establish this new thing called the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, and he would, there would be peace and prosperity, and especially for the people of Israel, that they would be prosperous. They would be the nation that would be governing all the other nations, and all the peoples of the earth would come to them in Jerusalem, and the 12 tribes um, would be reconstituted, uh, and so um, there would be no more, you know, no more pain, no more tears, no more um, death. And so that's what this whole new kingdom would look like. And Israel would be on the top of that. And guess what? Not just Israel, but the 12 tribes. And not just the 12 tribes, those who represent in the heads of each of those tribes. And guess what? 
the disciples thought that they were going to be the ones as the heads of those tribes, right? How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. And he told them that they would govern with him in his kingdom. And so when they were asking the question, is it at this time that is the, the kingdom will come to Israel? What were they saying? Is it now that life is going to be hunky-dory for us? Is it now that it's all about us and we're going to be at the top of the heap? We're going to be the guys looking down everybody, even though in the, all throughout this whole time, we're under the oppression of the Romans, we're a poor fishermen, everyone looked down upon us, now we get to be on top. I think that's what they were asking. So it was both theological and it was personal. But it was mistaken. It was mistaken. And unfortunately, sometimes, oftentimes, we in modern American Christianity, we too are mistaken. That we think that God's salvation is all about us. It's about what we get out of it. It's about how we get all these goodies and have life hunky-dory from here on out. And so how we are going to be taken up and gone into heaven, and we're going to just spend eternity in bliss with our harps. I know Jody plays the harp. And we're going to be harps with wings and stuff like that. And we're going to be doing all that forever and ever. And that's going to be hunky-dory for us. And we're just kind of waiting like Ray, um, just waiting to be taken up. It's not quite it. It's not quite the fullest picture. You see, um, what do I do with it? In his book um, by N.T. Wright, um, a British theologian, uh, New Testament scholar, he reminds us that uh, you know there was this thing called the Enlightenment. Yeah, you know, around the 1500s, there's this thing called the Enlightenment that happened. And in the Enlightenment period, what happened was that there was this tremendous uh, differential, and you know, try to explain this, that there was a tremendous disconnect between um, it was called dualism. Right? And dualism meant that the spiritual stuff went up here and the physical stuff went down here. And what happened in the Enlightenment was that the, um, because of what happened through the Enlightenment period, the, um, what we could today, some of us conservatives, call the liberal wing of the church, focused on the here and now, on the physical stuff. And so they focused on what they called the kingdom of God and the life of Christ, so the actual gospels replicating what Christ did in terms of his mercy and care and compassion and establishing institutions, establishing um, you know, uh, uh, hospitals and those kind of things, focusing on the here and now because they followed Christ. So our job is to rescue the world and the people of the world. Does that make sense? But then those of us who are conservatives, we went the other way. We focused on the upper part and we focused on the cross of Christ. That salvation of Jesus meant that um, we would focus on the atonement, how Jesus sacrifices on the cross for us, um, and how he takes our place uh, on the cross to take our punishment, take all the brokenness in our world into himself, and that we uh, can be his sons and daughters because of that reality, that he takes our cross, and all we need to do is believe. And the interesting thing is he suggests that uh, these two pieces actually are a, 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 shouldn't be disconnected at all. And he writes, says, look, we need to take the entire gospel, not just the supernatural miracle of birth and resurrection, uh, you know, death and resurrection ascension, which the conservatives, us evangelicals, focus on, right? And we need to, all the stuff in between, what Jesus is doing as an expression of his kingship, his lordship over all of creation, 
that they go hand in hand. They need to go together. And so what we see here is that we see as we reread the Gospels, see, I grew up that way. I came into Christ that way. See, I came to Christ um, under Dr. Gordon Fee, and in that time and space, you know, I remember when he slammed, ooh, ooh that doesn't work. He had a, a wooden pulpit. When he slammed on the wooden pulpit, um, you know, I knew that I was like that, 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 uh, that, that gross praying mantis or cockroach that needed to be crushed, right? And I needed, uh, you know, the, the atoning sacrifice. I needed the substitutionary uh, atonement, uh, the penal substitution of Jesus on the cross for me so that I could have a relationship with God and be forgiven. And that's how I came to Christ. It was all about me. It's all about me and so that I could spend eternity with Jesus. But that's not the entire picture. That's not the entire picture. The picture is God, God calls us to be his children so that we might be those who are part and parcel of what we sometimes call reversing the curse. You guys remember, some of us remember when the Red Sox finally you know, broke the, the curse, the 86-year-old curse, right? Everyone was saying, reverse the curse, reverse the curse. Well, this is truly what it's about. It's really God calling us into his kingdom or meta-narrative or big picture of what he's actually about. In this slide about you know, um, the meta-narrative, it'll help us remember that there's something bigger than even your salvation and my salvation. This is meta-narrative. I'm sorry, this is a really bad copy of, from the ESV study Bible. But I thought it was very helpful if you look at it, because what you see, oh, I should use my, I should use my lightsaber. Oh, what, what a cool thing to do. Use your lightsaber. You see the, the, the scope. Woohoo! You see, I keep your attention now, huh? Keep your attention now. Okay, pretty good. Um, creation, fall, right? Creation of all humanity and everything that God made was very good, right? But then we were selfish, and humanity was selfish, and so we fell. We rebelled against God, our King. Um, he made us to be regents and vice-regents over the earth with His image, to rule and to govern, and yet, instead, we rebelled against Him, and so we went into this fallen state. Um, and so what happens is evil entered the world, and God called out Israel in Abraham in order to bring about redemption uh, through David and then to Jesus, right, who would become the second Adam. And so redemption comes, and this is the big plan, through his church now. Not only through Israel, but through the church. And because of the church, there will become, as we do our thing on earth, we are part and parcel of his kingdom and expansion. And what happens is that there will be a time when Christ comes again to reestablish his new heavens and new earth. Get it? So there's this symmetry, if you want to think about it, from the new heaven, from the... The creation to the new creation, right? There's a symmetry of what's going on and what we call, oftentimes, called the bookends. The bookends. I was watching a movie just yesterday, two days ago. It was called White House Down. And in White House Down, there's this cool, like good storytellers always have kind of this kind of bookend thing where you kind of have this preview of what's going to go on. Is that the right side? Yeah. Preview that kind of, in, in, in the end, it mirrors at the end. Right? And so in the beginning of this movie, you see you know, the president, um, you know, uh, Jamie Foxx, you know, president in his helicopter, or whatever it's called, something one, 
Um, and, and he's flying around. He's zooming across the, the reflecting pool in Washington, D.C., you know, a, across the, um, the monument there, all the way to the Lincoln Monument, and he's, the, he's basically buzzing it, right? And that's the, the opening scene. And at the end, when everything, after all the destruction, rescue, heroes, and all that stuff in between, at the end, he does the same thing. He comes victoriously in his helicopter, and he buzzes the tower, uh, buzz, uh, buzzes Washington and the Lincoln thing, right? So there's this symmetry, right? Good stories have this symmetry. Not only do they have symmetry, there's a sense of expanse to them. And so the true understanding of how our relationship with God is placed is that we are part of this, think about it, epic. This epic across all of time and space. The in the beginning God. Right? And then in the end, God. God places his people on planet Earth, creates his, our environment, and all that, right, and, and fills it and, and places his governors, his vice regents, those of his image. You see, in the ancient times, an a, a emperor would put his statue at a distant land, right? And that statue meant that that was his reign, that was his rule, that was his property and dominion over that property. And so you, you, that statue represented his authority, way out there in another, you know, in the far reaches of the empire. But when God puts Adam and Eve on planet Earth as the apex of creation, and he puts his image on them, that's what he's doing. And when you and I are received, and we receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we become again his Children stand with his image, again, taking up the responsibilities and the call that Adam had and Eve had to be stewards over the creation and over the new creation. See that? That's what some theologians call the meta-narrative. What is really going on is that you and I are called not simply to go to heaven, which we shall, but we're part and parcel of what God is doing in reversing the curse. Okay? So that is sort of the big picture. When, when, so when the disciples were saying, gee, Jesus, are we going to be princes now? Are we going to get all the benefits of doing all this stuff now? What's Jesus' response? Jesus' response says, whoa, I think you kind of got it wrong. Let's take a look. What does Jesus say? He says, no, well, um, there will be a time and space when that will happen, but he says, and they ask the question, verse 6, and so when you have met the, the, uh, the Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Down there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is a chart that I have um, of all the different things there. Uh, the chart. I mean, what was he really saying? Yeah, let's go one, next slide first. Yeah. And so he's saying, well, instead of saying, well, how does... So they understood first it wasn't only about them. 
And now he's really blowing their mind. He's making that little, that little arrow, that little needle. He's expanding it. That, that little arrow that's supposed to be the day of the Lord, instead of one cataclysmic day, now it's going to be this. What is that arrow? The timing, instead of instant, is going to be prolonged. It's not going to be pro, uh, cataclysmic. It's going to be secret. It's not focused on the Jewish people. It's going to be multi-ethnic, include all peoples, every tribe and nation. It's not going to... It, Evil is not completely destroyed in the here and now. It is going to coexist. It's going to be evil intermingling. The weeds and the, and, 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 and the wheat will be intermingled, right? There would be this sense in which um, both exist simultaneously. God's vengeance was focused on in the previous. God's grace, mercy that, that uh, surpasses in over judgment. It's not nationalistic. Um, it won't be focused on Israel. It's God's global kingdom. It's going to be not external, primarily about prosperity and riches, because it's going to be primarily about wholeness and what it means to be uh, experiencing God's presence all the time. It's not going to come by physical and military power um, and might. It's going to be primarily through spiritual interaction uh, with different people. And it's coming not, and Jesus is not going to come as conquering king, right, in that time and space. He comes as a suffering servant and the Lord. And so what we see is that he's expanding their understanding of time, its understanding of what it means to be in that time and space when God comes in his day of, um, day of the Lord. Uh, one slide backwards. Thanks, Chester. Yeah, and so instead of this you know, instant thing, just think of this entire... Ooh, ooh i got to use my pointer. Just think of this entire... This from here to here as that one arrow, right? That one arrow point. And so what we see is that in the time and ministry of Jesus, God's presence and his reign and his glory are here with him. And then when he goes up to heaven, what he does is he sends his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes down and is in a constant inbreaking, and we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit by his power, his grace, and his presence all the time. And yet, and yet there is this concurrence of this present evil age and the ruler of this age in constant sort of, you know, back and forth, right? And yet there will be a final victory when Jesus does come again to establish his complete presence on earth. What we'll see and understand is that God calls his people to be witnesses of God's kingdom rule, his authority, his presence, his power, his dominion, his rights to rule. And he calls us to be witnesses of that through our proclamation, through our example, through our community, through all these things. We are called to be his people empowered by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate to the world that indeed God's reign has come. And as we pray, um, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in. That's the prayer, right? We're praying that to be so. We're praying for it to be so. We're living as, you know, um, to make that so. That's what we are about as his witnesses upon this earth. And so the disciples begin to understand. They begin to understand the theological backdrop. You see, um, there's this woman, and I'm going to go back to the third slide. Sorry, Chester. You know, this woman um, from South Africa that came to us and shared with us. Her name is, uh, I can't even say it, Adri? Adri Marie Van 
Herdin. Herdin. She's a South Af she's an Afrikaner from South Africa. And uh, she came to share with us this past week about what it looks like and how her organization called Oasis um, is part of this reconciliation, you know, uh, racial and socioeconomic reconciliation in her land. And she says, what happens is that we have to be a people who are not just doing the practices. And so what you see behind her is this, this, this mountain-looking thing. It's actually supposed to be the iceberg. Iceberg, and you see the top tier there is supposed to be the water line. And that's the practices of what it means to be missional, what it means to be doing all these things externally. And she says, what happens is that, but we first need to understand for ourselves, not only do we do certain things, but we need to believe certain things and be certain things. And she says, the most bottom part of that iceberg, way down where it says TH, that sounds with theology. We need to have the proper theology that is the basis of why we're doing what we're doing. Because lots of people do good things in the world, right? Your neighbors, your friends, your family, all do good things in the world. But we're supposed to be doing it because of who Jesus is, our king, our uh, exemplar, right? Uh, the one who calls us and empowers us to be the kind of people that represent his kingdom. And so his kingship, our sense of being beloved, that's the heart, uh, the wholeness of life and how all people are included and what it means um, in, in that context. And so this is partly why it's so important for us to think about this. Because guess what? I spent 25, 30 years in the Chinese church, half of which, and people like Gary and Jocelyn and others, we spent a lot of time trying to get the Chinese church excited about caring for the poor, doing justice and mercy, helping to start ESL programs, helping to start after-school programs, helping to do all these kind of things. We spent all these years doing that and, and trying to convince the older generation this is legitimate ministry and part and parcel of what we do. We were just reading the Gospels and saying, we should just be like Jesus. It, it, you know, in the bottom line, we'll just say, we just want to be like Jesus, period. We don't have any big, bigger, deeper theology than that. But then it doesn't work so well because after a while, the young people are doing all these things now, right? This generation does mercy and justice and ecology and all these kind of things, but they have no theology, right? They have no biblical basis for which they do it. It's only done because their kindergarten teacher said they should or because it's vital self-interest. Right? Creation is going to go crashing, and we're on this spaceship, and that's the only reason why we do it. That's not enough. Biblical theology is the foundation for which drives our desire to minister to each other, to our community, to make a difference in our world. So we need to understand that God is on the move. He's always been on the move, right? He's always been on the move. He's in, on the move. And he's not just not focused on me or you. He's focusing on all of us, bringing this thing back, reversing the curse. And so as we think about that, let's just get almost practical. Pastor Tom, this is a lot of theology. Everyone warned me not to talk too much about theology. So let's go to something more practical. So um, uh, lasting on theology, uh, N.T. Wright, I have this quote in N.T. Wright um, that he says, uh, Let's see if I can find it. Anti-right quote. Here you go. He says, in surprised by joy. Oh, I can read it here. To sum up the work of salvation in its fullest sense is about three things. It's about the whole human being, not merely 
souls. So he says, um, we are saved not as souls, but as wholes. With a W, wholes. Um, it's about the present, not simply the future. He reminds us that that which is future in the he final state, in the, in the heaven, new heavens and the new earth, is something that will last. And so that which we do in the here and now actually has impact into the future. It's really kind of cool that, um, I'll, I'll share this. I was in a, I, I shared with staff a, few, uh, a month ago that I was in an existential funk. Because I was trying to figure out whether the kingdom of God and, when the, and, and in the new creation, new heavens and new earth, whether it's primarily, primarily, use the word primarily, primarily replacement or renewal. You know the difference, right? There's a house near, near me that we, I go walking by every day. And when I, they started this, 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 this house thing, I thought, it, this is dilapidated. It's over 100 years old. All the things were just falling off. The, you know, the, the, the balcony was crooked. All the steps were out. You know, everything was decaying. Uh, it was a wooden shingle structure. And I was like, man, you know, they should just tear this thing down and replace it. Most efficient, effective thing to do with this but you know what? These guys have been working hard on it. They've been working for three, four, five weeks on it, and they've gutted the whole thing. I watched them tear off all the ex external siding. I saw them redo the entire porch, put up new you know, supports to the porch, put in new stairs in the front, take out all the windows, put in replacement windows, do all this stuff, and they finally painted it. And I drove by, I walked by yesterday, and I was like, wow. This is probably as nice, if not nicer, than how it was originally. They didn't just scrap it. They renewed it. God is doing this renewal thing among us and in this world. It will not be complete until Christ comes back. And we will ourselves not usher in the complete version. But God does call us to be part and parcel of his renewal, reversing the curse. So it's not just about um, the present and future, but it's about the, past, uh, the present. And finally, um, in number three, in the same slide, uh, and it's about what God does in us, uh, through us, what God does through us, not merely what God does in us or for us. When I was growing up, it was primarily, well, what I have is relationship with Jesus, right? So he's doing this thing in me, and I'm going to get to go to heaven after. But here, N.T. Wright reminds us that it's not just in us and for us, but it is through us that God wants to do his work. He fills us by his Holy Spirit so we might become Jesus representatives or little Jesus, right? That's what being Christian is. Being a little Jesus in our time and space. What does that mean? I'm going to skip over the quotes that I have over here because we're running out of time. And there are six areas in which I want to suggest that um, there are six areas that we will be focusing on in these next, this coming series called For the Good of the World. For the Good of the World. And what we're going to do is going to think about it in terms of almost like concentric circles. That as we think about concentric arenas of 
of how the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God begins to have its reign upon us in our character, in, our, in ourselves, and who we are as people, in terms of our families and how we interact with one another. That it's not just sending our kids and, uh, you know, you know, to soccer and music and, uh, uh, you know, and culture classes. It's about how we're building into them, building into them you know, a, a love of Jesus, a love of God, and a love for his kingdom to be his people in the world. It's about our neighborhood, understanding our, our, our physical, our geographic neighbors, our classmates, uh, those are soccer moms and dads around us. What does it look like when we are sitting and standing on the field? How can we be those who are, you know, extending friendship and hospitality to say there's something about us being the, the salt and light? What does that look like in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our vocations? How not only should we be ethical, not only should we be those looking for opportunities to extend friendship, but we should be those who are making a difference in the actual work that we do that we're filled with excellence, that we're doing all these things and we're choosing jobs that we can really see God working in, um, you know, and through us uh, in that kind of thing. Um, in our nations and in the world, what does it look like when we are confronting the um, terrible, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, developing world debt? Uh, how, it, how do we respond to the um, refugee and the immigrant crisis? How do we do all those kind of things? What are we about and finally, of course, our creation, the creation itself. How can we be those who are indeed seeing that? It's not, we're just not going to replace this thing. See, when I was growing up, we had this cool analogy. We said, you know, why do you bother with all these social justice things and ecology things? Because it's all going to burn up and go. Why bother? We said, it's just like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Why to bother? Things are all going to go down the tube anyway. Just focus on saving lives, and so just send lifesavers, uh, life preservers out to everybody. But that is theologically too narrow. Too narrow. We need to understand God calls us to be a part of his kingdom work to reverse the curse. All of it, not just, not just souls, but wholes. Whole people, whole societies and the whole world. So as we think about that, I want you to be challenged. I want you to think about these two, um, I call it props, my lightsaber, which represents what God is doing in the world. His kingdom mission, his desire for us to be those who are part of what he is doing. Or, to be those who are just focused on our own thing. Safe, secure, predictable. I encourage you to ask God whether he will give you the power and the courage and his spirit to be part of his kingdom work. And I recognize that for some of us we feel tired perhaps discouraged. Maybe we've done this before. You see, I'm a, if you want to use that kind of terminology, I'm an old Jedi, right? I'm an old Jedi. I, I, you know, when I first saw this, you know, it, it's been, uh, gosh, near 40 years I've been walking with the Lord, an old Jedi. And sometimes old Jedis just say, we've tried that, done that, done my duty, done my tour of duty. 
But you know what? I was really encouraged this week. I was really encouraged this week. On this slide, I want you, I want you to meet an older Jedi. This past week, I had an opportunity to um, go to Epic. You know, the, uh, those who are in their encore years, you know, at, at Grace Chapel. And they invited Dr. Gordon McDonald, who was the senior pastor at, Gord, at, at Grace a number of years ago, to come and share. And he talked to us as those of us who are second half people. Those of us in our, you know, 50s, empty nesters and beyond, and said, you know, he challenged us and encouraged us, encouraged me, he said, you know, this is the first generation that is probably going to live healthily into their 80s and 90s. First in all of history. And we could go and golf or go Viking cruises or whatever and just kind of focus on our own thing for those next years. Or we could be part of God's vital kingdom work and to leave an incredible legacy. You see, for me, his challenge and encouragement was that he's now my Obi-Wan to Luke. And we're looking for the next Ray. Because God calls us to be his people, empowered by his spirit, so that we might be those who are indeed reversing the curse. You see, Pastor Tom, this is a kind of old message. You know, we don't use that terminology of war anymore in, in Christian world. It's politically incorrect. One, I say, I'm sorry. Um, it's a biblical image all the way through. Spiritual warfare is rife without, throughout the scriptures. But in some sense, you're right. Because the way in which we wage war is not primarily by a lightsaber or a sword. It is by the power of the cross. N.T. Wright has this cool quote, and I'll just say it, that is not, so our world runs by the love of power. But in Christ, but in Christ is the power of love that wins out. Would you be called? Is God calling you to be his Jedi? Not wielding power the way the world does, but instead embracing his love and sharing it with the world, reversing the curse. Let's pray. Father, we come as those who are easily tempted to fall into our own things. Easily mistaken to think that we just need to sit around and wait for salvation to come. Deliver us. We pray that you would pour out your spirit. Give us a vision and a recognition to see what you're doing in the world. What you've always been doing. And what you lovingly invite us to be a part of. Our Father's business. Your kingdom work. Help us, we pray, to trust in you renew us 
by your spirit for those of us who are old and tired. To envision those of us who are young with a vision of your kingdom. That young and old, as it says in Joel, will see visions. And old men and old women will dream dreams again. Slaves and free will praise your name. We pray that you would do this thing in our lives. By your power, by your Holy Spirit. For your glory, for our good, and for the good of the world. We pray this in Jesus. And all God's people said,